0: Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today I'm joined by Leslie. Hello. And Greg. Hey, hey. And we will be reviewing... Spirit Island! <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It's finally
1: happening! We're Run a little excited. <laughs> We're a little excited.
0: Yep. Um, yeah, super stoked. So that's going to be fun. But first, we still have uh, been playing some games and doing some other really cool things. So let's talk about what we've been playing. Leslie?
2: Awesome. Yeah, so... Uh- I a lot of game nights canceled because it is the fall and everyone is sick. season. Really and well. um, and uh, actually, Jacob's going to talk for a bit about one of the games that we were supposed to play, uh, mm-hmm. Sidereal Confluence, that got rescheduled for this coming Friday. So still looking forward to playing that again. And then there's been a lot of LARP going on in my life. Um, all my friends are excited about one-shot LARPs. So yeah. a couple weekends mm-hmm. ago, we did a Dresden game. LARP, not, and you know, I don't know if anybody's listening. It was not for money or it was just in my friend's house. Nobody had any like rights to anything, anything like that. It was just for fun to try out different game systems. Mm-hmm. I played a fairy. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep. fairy
1: or dwarf, right? That's the, pre- those are the options.
2: Well, sometimes halfling.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Um, but I was certainly typecast. We were assigned roles ah. in both games. Because they're one shot games, so that yeah. you kind of need a certain cast of character. Sure. And the other one I played just last weekend for Halloween was um sort of a Cthulhu esque themed murder mystery kind of game and they used it running a system called dread Um, oh yeah
0: i like dread yeah
2: so if you're familiar it's funnily enough using a jenga tower hey yeah we We know what that is we love jenga towers right (laughs) yeah so anytime you want to take a risk within the game you have to pull a piece of the tower interesting yeah and put it back using all standard Jenga rules because everybody's hardcore gamers. And these those were the only rules of the entire LARP, so there's no not any other additional really mechanics. We all had kind of a light aspect, dark aspect on our character sheets that we could bid to make things more difficult or easy. I was playing a undercover reporter investigating this death of this rich individual who... Um, was basically it was supposed to be like a celebration of their life and if you won the game at the end which was you were collecting cards and if you won the whoever had the highest poker hand at the end of the game mm. would w- inherit his money but really what was going on was he was not actually dead and he was using his house to slowly and you know dark magics to kill us all one by one nice um, classic yeah yeah Yep. And I ended up in the basement, deciphering a cryptogram. And when the not dead person came out from the furnace room to tell everyone he was really behind the thing the whole time, I was like, Cool, and continue to decipher my cryptogram, which is how I came out of the game alive and ended up <laughs> actually having like half a deck of cards. Just
1: ignore everything else. So there you go.
2: Yeah, I had a pretty good time though. um It was fun. I got to play with a lot of my friends that I don't normally get to play with, and it was very like murder mystery, fun Halloween. Also, my character had randomly, accidentally, or potentially on purpose caused world war one hmm. um
1: that's uh, <laughs> <dark wine. laughs> All right, whatever. All right, we're not touching that.
2: (laughs) My character was involved in the conspiracy to murder the Archduke, which basically Mm. caused World War One. And there was another character there who was a soldier who was out to kill me, but he couldn't ever find me
1: (laughs) because you were in the basement (laughs) working on the cryptogram. He
2: was too, but he didn't know it was (laughs) me. So (laughs) it was pretty fun.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. And uh, we we had a good time, and you know, uh, yeah. And so hopefully more board games in upcoming Mm -hmm. days.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. For sure. And so I'll I'll go ahead and jump in and talk about and this is a game that I, for the life of me, cannot remember the pronunciation of.
2: Sidereal Confluence.
0: Sidereal Confluence. Yes. There we go. Pretty much as a space trading game. They have, I believe it's on somewhere along the lines of like twelve different races that you could play throughout the uh, the galaxy, and each one of them is Very specific in terms of what they're like, really good at, and they also have like different difficulty ratings, and it's really cool. It has like you know, you can't just become self-sustaining. Like you actually Hmm. have to trade with other people. Like uh, and the more you trade, the better you will do in the game, pretty much. And so there's a lot of negotiation. There's a lot of interaction between you and the other players. I got to play the space dragons. Nice, um, love it. Because of course.
2: Very on brand. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Even though like, you know, I think that probably shouldn't have played the Space Dragons because they're one of the more complex races, but it was still a lot of fun. The game itself, like what you were doing is you have your, your starting like technology things that you get to convert like certain kinds of resources into other kinds of resources, you almost always have a, or you always have a, a benefit to that. So like you know, these resources like when translated equal six, and then you tra- uh, you uh, convert them into something that equals uh, seven and a half or something like that in terms of like you know uh, the base unit of of measure kind right, of thing. Right. Right. And. So it's like you're always getting more, but then, like, a lot of times it's not what you need, but it's what someone else needs. So you you talk about, like, trading, like, you know, I'm going to trade. Like, if you give me this now, I'll trade you back this and this because that'll be, you know, compensation for you giving me this plus a little bit extra kind of thing. And and you're working with everyone else. And you're discovering new technologies throughout the game. And that's something that you do in terms of, like, the players get to bid on the technologies that they want to discover and also the planets that they want to colonize. Okay. So the planets give you pretty much are one of the only things that gives you something for nothing, meaning that like they just produce, and then all the other technologies pretty much are just things that take uh, resources that are already out in the game and create like other resources out of that.
1: All and right, like, so it's all just sort of like resource conversion and trying to find yep. the most optimal. It's it's comparative advantage to the board game. Yes. All right.
0: Exactly. I remember Econ one hundred and one. Mm-hmm. But the dragons were interesting because they don't have planets. They are not allowed to have planets.
1: Um, okay. Yeah, they are nomads. That seems like a detriment.
0: They're galactic nomads. So their ships and that kind of stuff, they're limited by like how much, how big of a fleet they have, but they have the best conversion or one of the best conversions in the game. So like they can really, really create good things out of others, but they need to really work together with the other players in order to get the resources that they need in order to start this engine running. Mm. And then, like, look, like, three or four turns in advance, not, like, I'm going to give this back to you on the next turn. It's like, you know, help me get myself up and running, and then I'll give you this stuff in the further future. And the designer of the game has pretty much said that they would always win if the game was nine turns long. This game is only six turns long. Uh So you really have to like uh try to get that up and running with how you trade and all that kind of stuff but it it can be a bit difficult to look that far ahead especially when you don't really know exactly how the game works because it's the first time playing
2: yeah it's a cool game and you it plays like eight or nine people yeah Yeah. uh, the designer i met the designer at origins the first origins that hunter and i went to and he talked about how he basically designed the game for his friends to play Mm -hmm. And they kind of encouraged him to get it published. Yeah. Uh, and we actually demoed the game with the designer, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool because I always love to see the excitement and mm-hmm. from the designers mm-hmm. about how they describe the games that they love so much. So, yeah, it's, it's really unique and interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, the minimum player count is four. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it's a big game. Yeah, it's a big game. We did play with three, but it can be a little bit weird with that because, uh, for example, in ours... Until the very end, the one resource is completely not used. Mm. So it was just like, oh, well, no one's going to be using blue, I guess. And so that has become a worthless resource that we're creating and not knowing what to do with. Mm. Yeah. And it's
2: kind of funny because the resources, they're just cubes. They don't have names. No, they do. uh, Well, but they just default to these are gray cubes. These are blue
1: cubes Mm. and these are
2: yellow cubes.
1: Yeah. Avoid the problem of a pasted-on theme by having no theme. Yeah, I
2: mean it's got a very strong theme. It's space.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sure. space, <laughs>
2: space. <laughs>
1: um, though
0: it was actually pretty funny in our game when we were playing. The first turn, like two of the uh, one of the other guys was saying, like, "I'm actually gonna do it this time, and I'm gonna like call them by their actual names." One turn in, give me a gray cube. <laughs>
1: failed step one I
2: actually thought that they just were gray and blue and yellow and whatever
0: they actually have like a little bit of a it's been a long time since I looked at it yeah yeah that actually has the names on there but like I hell if I can remember a single one of them (laughs) clearly not important yeah pretty much
2: it is a good game though
0: it is I think it's a lot of fun I'm looking forward to trying it out again at some point
1: very cool Mm -hmm. I have been playing Spirit Island we're about to talk about that <laughs> a whole lot, so I won't talk about it too much. But I do, I have to brag. I can't not brag. Uh, I beat my first level six adversary uh, Yay! A, about a week ago, which was pretty great. Level six being the highest level of adversary. So fuck you, France and your colonies. <laughs> Get your plantations out of here. So that was, uh, that's pretty much exclusively what I've been playing independently of what I've been playing on stream and things. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I also got to play a game that I have been looking forward to trying out for a while because I bought it at uh, Washington and haven't been able to play it since. The Pyramid's Deadline. It's a very interesting game in that, like, everyone is, is building a pyramid. You're building the pyramid before the Pharaoh dies. And the way that you build it is at the start of a round, you roll all these dice. The dice have each side has a shape on them and you have like either a small triangle Big triangle, trapezoid, or a square, or big rectangle. So pretty much all the shapes are made up of small triangles. Okay. And then you go around. The person who rolled is the last one to take. So the person, to the left of the person who rolls, takes one of the die and takes that corresponding shape and adds that to their pyramid. The pyramid has to be built in such a way that at the end of the game, when the pharaoh dies, uh, you can have no flat things facing up. So you can't have anything, everything has to be up in a peak. Okay. Um, and then also you have to have your, like, there can't be a drop of more than two squares on any part of the, the pyramid. And, and then from that, you score based on how wide your pyramid is and how tall your pyramid is. So you do, you know, length times width minus the number of peaks that you have.
1: Hmm. Okay. So, sort so, of like an interesting balancing act between trying to make a single giant pyramid and mm-hmm. having time constraints. Of, I assume you don't know exactly when the pharaoh is going to die.
0: So you know the pharaoh is going to die when uh, all the red squares are taken out from the center. Okay, and the that is done based on like when you when you roll the die. That's actually the most common uh, shape. Uh, So you could have a longer game when none of those come up, but all but one of the die that are rolled are going to be taken. So if you have like four squares that were rolled that time, at least three of them are going to be taken. hmm. So it's going to be like one of those where it's just like, that's going to speed up the game a lot. So the game usually goes like two, two, three, maybe four rounds.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So very fast.
0: Yeah. It's like, uh, I think in a three player game, you have eight uh, squares in the middle.
2: Those oink games are typically pretty quick. Yeah, gotcha.
0: Because this is one of the oink games, one of the really tiny ones. So
2: yeah,
1: it's a nifty box. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I I thought it was fun. I think it's like a, a very fun little like uh, just puzzly kind of game. Nice. Uh, I don't think I scored a single time. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. Because I think every single time that I got the end of the game, I had at least one drop that was two or two or more. Because it's really hard to avoid that. And that's the one that always like just I forget. So it it just gets to that point where it's like, oh, okay. Well, darn. Yeah. the, 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 The interesting thing is because like most times you're playing the game until, you know, until the end, the game ends. But you can at any point say my pyramid is done. And then you're out for the rest of the round.
1: Oh! Instead of taking a die,
0: yeah. Instead of taking a die, or no, I think it's after you take a die. Oh, okay. you you have to say it at that point, not when it gets back to you. Sure. So if it gets back to you, you you have to take another die, but you can just say my pyramid is done, and and then you you're not obligated to take anything else, but you also can't take anything else right, until right. until mm-hmm. it's over. Interesting. Uh, and so you have that kind of like option of just. Well, I think my pyramid is good. I wonder if they're going to be able to, like, you know, take care of all these other, like, you know, long pieces and other things like right, that. Right,
1: yeah, it's another one of those judgment calls. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it yeah. sounds interesting. I'd like to play it sometime. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to try it out.
2: Yeah, I like their games. They come in little boxes you can just throw in your bag and, you know, be portable, kind of play wherever. Mm-hmm. So those are handy.
0: Yes, very much so. Well, all right. Yeah, and there you have it. That's a look at what we've been playing.
2: It's a new land and we get to clear all of this green and make farms and we're gonna breed sheep and it's gonna be so great!
1: Oh, it's gonna be fantastic once we finally tame this land.
0: I don't know guys, have you seen the the shadows flickering like flames?
1: It's fine. It's fine.
2: Don't, don't worry about it, it'll be okay.
1: Here, look over here! See how the mountain rolls into the wetlands? Ah, oh, perfect place for some farms Maybe a little hamlet. Oh, I think it'll be wonderful. It's going don't to be great. You, don't you think, Jonathan?
2: Wait. Jonathan?
1: Jonathan? Where'd, Where'd he go? go?
2: Do you see. Do you see those sharp fangs behind the leaves?
1: No? What are you talking about? Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. Oh, god. oh the green. It's everywhere. Oh, it's all around me. Oh, it's. It's so rampant, I'm going to get choked out.
2: All right, Spirit Island. Spirit Island is a game for one to four players. It is a cooperative settler destruction strategy game. Um, We will talk soon about the Kickstarter, but I do want to say that the Kickstarter is adding two more player spots, so it'll be one to six. Also, the way I typically describe this game is... You've played Settlers of Catan, right? You've played Mm -hmm. a lot of probably farming games where you're little Euro people, you know, settling a new land and making sheep and cows and all of these things. In this game, this game flips that universe sort of upside down, and instead of being the settlers, you're playing the spirit of the island that is being settled, and you're destroying the invaders who are tearing apart your land. Yeah, yep. so I'm very excited to share this game with all of you. Yes.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's been a long time coming. It's so good. So this is a uh, a game that has a lot of rules, and normally we try to go through as many as we can. Today, in the interest of brevity and uh, not talking your ear off, we are not going to do that. We're going to do a rules overview instead of a in-depth rules like discussion. Yeah. So let's start with talking about the island itself. So this island is made up of a few boards, and you can do it from either one to four currently. You will be able to add all the way up to six based on how many players you have. And on these island boards, you have four different terrain types. And each of these boards also has two sides. One of them is the uh, more stylized side that's used for the less complex game. And then you have the uh, more complex one that has like everything like more like it would be on an actual island. Each of these lands can have different things placed on them. These range from the Dahan, which are the natives of the island, to things like the tokens for the dense jungles or plague tokens, which mean that people can't really ravage there because they're too preoccupied by the plague. As well as, of course, the invaders themselves. So this is the main part of the game that you just have this area that you are playing on. This is the island that you are trying to save.
1: Right. So the island represents sort of where you're playing and the spirits represent what you're playing, the other half of the title. Mm Mm-hmm. That's
2: exactly right.
1: (laughs) Each spirit has a number of components that make it up, but all of them follow the same general formula. So you have your presence track, which you have little wooden discs called presence, which starts out sort of on your player board, but then you can, over the course of the game, add those presence discs to the island board in order to interact with that board. The having presence on the island is how you manifest. It's how you use your power cards. It's how you interact with the things there. And also, when you remove presence from your player board, you reveal other bonuses underneath. So you can get more energy per turn to cast power cards. You can get more power cards per turn that you're allowed to play. Uh, Adding more presence is just how the game scales up. And then you also have certain innate powers. And these are very, very thematic, so they're specific to each unique spirit. You know, Shadows Flicker Like Flame is going to have things mostly focused on generating fear and being very terrifying and intimidating, whereas another more damage-oriented spirit might have more straightforward things related to dealing damage. But each spirit generally has one to two innate powers.
0: Yeah, and the rest of the the abilities that the spirit has all come from the power cards that they possess. So you start with four that are unique to your spirit. And the power cards themselves, they have a few different parts. First off, uh, you you have the name of it, and then how much energy it costs to cast. So it can cost anywhere from zero to, I believe, nine is the most energy that it costs. And then you have the effect, and the effect is just something on the board. Uh, This can be anything from removing invaders. It could be helping and buffing your other spirits. It could be generating fear. There are a lot of things that they can do. You also can only affect certain parts of the island, and this is all based on the range of the card. Now, the range is usually determined by distance from your presence. So, you have to see whether or not you're in range of something in order to be able to affect that tile or that area. Another really important part of the the power cards is that they also have certain elemental symbols. And these allow you to activate the powers that are on your actual spirit card or enhance certain abilities that are on the power cards themselves. And uh, these are usually just thresholds, so as soon as you're able to get above that threshold, you're able to use that power. The last thing about the power cards is when they activate. And this can be either in the fast phase or in the slow phase. And this is extremely important, and I think one of the most interesting and unique parts about Spirit Island. So you really have to be cognizant of when your power cards activate, because some of them might be really powerful, but they're not gonna be done in time
2: and that leads right into turn order so uh, i actually think that the turn order is sort of the backbone of this game there's a lot of elements that are almost programmy and the turn order kind of implies that i highly encourage you when playing this game to keep your turn order cards right next to you And Mm -hmm. make sure you follow along very carefully because it can dramatically affect what happens depending on what order things are played in. The first thing that happens is the spirit phase, which is sort of your setup phase for the turn. You choose a growth action. Growth actions are different for every spirit. Um, You gain energy. Energy is sort of mana or your money that powers everything that you do. And then you choose and you pay for the power cards you're going to use for that turn. And it's important to note, Jacob said, that the power cards are either slow or fast, and so are the innate powers that Greg mentioned on your card can either be slow or fast. Once the spirit phase is done, that's when your fast powers activate. So the fast powers go before any of the bad guys get to do anything. The bad guys being all of the evil bad invaders that are taking over your island. Mm -hmm. After that, there's a couple different things. That could happen. Blighted Island effects, fear effects. We'll talk more about Blighted Islands and fear in a minute. Then the Ravage phase happens, which is when the invaders can damage your land. Then the Build phase, when they are building their little farms and breeding sheep. I really like sheep.
1: Sorry. Guys. <laughs> it's a fixation. <laughs> it's because sheep produce wool. Like you have a, a very.
2: It's true. I also. I mean, a lot of Euro games have sheep in them.
1: Yes,
0: that's true. It's um, true. Especially one that you were playing recently.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I beat Hunter at Lowlands because sheep, right? Right, Yeah, of course. Um, And after that, the explore phase happens. And essentially, those actions happen in a specific land type. So you might end up having ravaging happening only in mountains, and building happen in the jungle, and explore happening in the sands, in the deserts. And the nice thing about this is that you won't know where explore is happening, but you will know where Ravage and Build is happening, so you can kind of plan Mm -hmm. for those things to happen. Mm -hmm. After that, you advance your invader cards, and then your slow powers, or as a friend of mine coined them, turtle powers, (laughs) happen. (laughs) They have a little turtle (laughs) symbol on the cards. And then time passes, which is when you reset everything. Then I do want to call back to the different types of invaders that you have. Invaders is sort of a blanket term for all of the tiny little white pieces that exist in the game. The smallest being explorers, so that they look like one little person. After explorer kind of builds, you get a town, and and, and if a town gets bigger, then that can turn into a city. Uh, And they have one, two, and three hit points. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you go up so those this a little bit about the turn order and again no one expects you to memorize the turn order but there's cards handy for it in the game
0: Use so. the things that are given to yeah. you in
2: the game
1: <laughs> very handy but so you've got all these invaders and they're occupying your island and they're ravaging and building in places that you don't want them to build and just generally pissing you off so <laughs> a big part of the game really how you win centers on managing the invaders you can destroy them you can you know they have health you can inflict damage to them and just remove them straight up but also a huge aspect of the game is terrifying them Um, you, (laughs) you are these massive omnipresent forces that are absolutely elemental storm surges and lightning and volcanoes and all of these massive just raw forces of nature, and those are inherently terrifying to people. So whenever you generate fear, you add fear tokens to basically a fear pool, and once you've earned enough, that converts into a fear card, which is then flipped over at the uh, beginning of the invader phase, as Leslie mentioned, in order to give you some sort of benefit. You don't know necessarily what it is, for the most part, but you do know that it's always going to be helpful for you And it's always going to help you in driving the invaders away.
2: It never occurred to me how appropriate this game was for Halloween.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very thematic. Accidental thematic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The best kind. But fear also serves another purpose, which is it is actually a victory condition unto itself. So the more fear cards you earn, the higher the terror level becomes. And at higher terror levels... There are easier victory conditions. So, at the outset, right at the beginning of the game, in order to win, there have to be no invaders anywhere on the island. But by the time you reach, you know, terror levels three or four, you only need to have no cities, which are, you know, relatively few and far between, or you just straight up win outright if you get through the entire fear deck. So, fear and damage are both equally important components in moving towards a victory. And that's all the components in the base game. Really rough coverage there, but there's also a couple of components and rules added by the Branch and Claw expansion, which is the expansion that's already out. Specifically, there are tokens. Jacob mentioned a couple of these. Wilds tokens, which represent areas that are difficult to explore. Disease tokens, which prevent invaders from building. Tokens are things that you can place on the map in order to gain unique and temporary benefits. So... Preventing invaders from taking specific actions, beast tokens, which can prey on the invaders, things like that. And then the other big thing added with the Branch and Claw expansion are event cards. So the event cards happen once per round, just straight up, and they are sometimes good, sometimes bad, usually good and bad. Generally speaking, the structure of an event card is that something bad will happen, or the invaders will gain some benefit, but then the spirits will also gain some benefit. So they attempt to add some more unpredictability to mm-hmm. the game. You know, you can, you can plan for where invaders are going to ravage and build, but you can never plan for what event is going to happen. So just another way to introduce a little bit of randomness to the game. Yeah. And there you go. That's, I mean, that's a real quick and dirty look at how you play Spirit Island. So let's talk about how it feels. So, I think that this is one that uh, Greg and
0: Leslie really have a lot of thoughts on. So many
2: thoughts. So many thoughts. Well, I do want to start with saying I had the great pleasure of being able to introduce this game to Jacob and Greg. mm mm-hmm. um, And I have gotten to teach this game to quite a few people and I loved it. I love doing so because it it is very complex. So kind of looking at it out of the box is a little overwhelming. And I've had a few friends who've heard that I liked it. They went out and bought the game and then gone, how do I play this? (laughs) Um, So I get the opportunity to teach this game quite a bit and inevitably when I do, I get to see the pure joy in people's eyes as they kind of fall in love with the game. So I get to kind of fall in love with it again, all over again. And I just love that. Aww. So, yeah, I I that's been one of the best parts for me mm. about this game. It does mean I end up playing base spirits or the the introductory level spirits quite a lot um and playing with the introductory level kind of of the game but i don't mind <laughs>
1: right. and
0: also that's like one of the things that we highly 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 recommend
2: yeah when i first discovered this game i was at gen con right when it was released and they had like three copies left. And my friend and I walked into the Greater Than Games room and asked if we could demo the game. And they said, well, somebody had signed up for those spots. And if we were so kind to wait to see if those people didn't show up, we would be allowed to play. And Thank you to those people who failed to show up for their game <laughs> because my friend Scott and I, um, I think two turns into the game, all three. It, it was my friend Scott and then somebody else that was already there who had paid for her ticket. All three of us got up and bought the copies that they had <laughs> left of the game. And it was just Awesome. And it was great because everybody in the room, everybody who was mm-hmm. working there, was like, no, this is my favorite game. And every time I talk to the people at different cons, talk to the Greater Than Games folks, they're like, no, at, you know, we play test games for a really long time, but this mm-hmm. Spirit Island is one game that we can always convince people in the office to play. Right. Right. Because people, because it just is so interesting and it has so much replayability. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, the. When we went into play, they had set up the introductory spirits with their specific cards. There's cards that come with the game that says which power cards to use and in which order to earn them. And no matter who I teach, no matter how long they've been playing games, I always make them play this way. And sometimes I get a little resistance because, oh, I've been playing a lot of games. I'll be fine. And then inevitably they're like, no, I'm glad you did that. I'm I'm glad that we played with the base level Mm -hmm. stuff because there's just so much decision making going on. Basically, it it sort of reduces some of that for you to help you just get a hang of... The rules of the game.
1: And that's uh, one of the other things that this sort of dovetails with is that I think Spirit Island is really incredible because these, this sort of introductory spirits, there's four of them, are, they're called low complexity by the game, but they're not bad. Mm -mm. They're perfectly suitable to sort of the later, you know, as you become more comfortable with the game and as you play the game later on. They don't fall off, they're no worse. They're just slightly easier to manage because they have fewer you know, complexities. They have one innate power instead of two. They come with the power progression cards that give you that option if you want to use it. And they just generally interact with mechanics in a much more straightforward way, which highlights just the sheer variety of spirits, which I think is a huge selling point for this game is that you've got in the base game alone, you've got eight spirits, which are totally unique, both mechanically and thematically. And they're just fantastic. They're amazingly designed. They're all... You know, super fun to play, super flavorful, and they really reinforce different playstyles. Each of them is suited to a different playstyle. I know Jacob mm-hmm. as sort of our resident support. Yep, this was something that you really appreciated.
0: Very much so. Yeah, I really like it. I, the different spirits, I can like look. And one of the cool things is on the back of the spirit, is it even t- tells you like this is a very high damage spirit with low support, or you know, the, it just gives you a little bit of a chart about like how the spirit is played. And I, I just think that that's absolutely amazing in the, the way that they designed that and the, the fact that they added that
1: to mm-hmm. the game.
2: Not to mention the little bit of thematic story behind each spirit, which Mm -hmm. I love. Yeah. A couple Um, of paragraphs on there. Yeah. My, my other suggestion, if you're looking at playing your first game of spirit Island is always include the uh, lightning spirit, which is lightning swift strike Mm -hmm. Uh, because that one of their, one of their cards, one of their cards that they start with allows them to change a slow power to a fast power. And determining when to p- play slow powers versus when to play, f- play fast powers can be one of the challenges that's difficult to grasp in your first game. And uh, having that ability to lean on is very useful in your first game. I mean, all of the time it is yeah. useful, but specifically useful in your first game.
1: Right. Just mm-hmm. in terms of overcoming that sort of learning curve yeah. of, oh, okay, Right. I have to remember that this low phase is going to happen after the invaders ravage or whatever. Right. So you yeah. have to know what you can and can't count on and yeah. when you can be proactive versus when you have to be responsive. So yeah. This really,
0: really powerful card would be able to destroy everything that we need to destroy. But it happens in the slow phase after everything that we need to destroy
1: destroys us. Right. right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's it's tough to balance in that way.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just know that if you're the person playing that character, all of your friends are going to say, but can you make me fast? I can do this if you make me yes. fast. And I can do this if you make me fast. But but I have this other thing that can make you. Th- did this happen if you make me fast? So There will um, be
0: competition. Yeah. There's, there's uh, a little bit of competition there yeah. for
2: that. And it it can be very entertaining, though. I do, which kind of points to how cooperative the game really, Mm -hmm. really is. You have to really work together. Because if one person's, one spirit's presence is removed from the board, everyone loses. You can't just, you know, abandon your friend in the woods, (laughs) um, as it were.
0: Yeah, it, it also, it really is nice because it means that there's very little quarterbacking in the game. Yeah. The spirits are even the base ones are too complex in general to actually be able to like, you know, think about everything that you can do and like all the cards that everyone else at the table has and how they interact. No, it's, I'm sure it's possible, and I'm sure someone has done it, but I think that, Leslie, you've had an experience when someone tried to do it.
2: Oh, yeah. It was pretty hilarious. We <laughs> lost. Like, I, I, I saw it happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a first game. Gosh, I hope he never listens. <laughs> uh, it was the first game. He insisted on playing a very high-complexity spirit, the Nightmare Spirit, also oh, relevant for Halloween. Yep. and. The downside of the the Nightmare Spirit does a lot of fear and can, um, you know, sort of rush the terror level uh, that Greg was talking about earlier. But at the same time, you can't actually destroy anything. So your invaders still exist on your board and they're still ravaging. And then trying to manage all of that and also explain to other people what they need to be doing when you've never played the game before. Yeah, I knew we were going to lose. I let it happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, by default, am kind of a project manager. I'm project manager at work and, you know, at home. And so I think that my skill set really lends to this kind of game because I'm like, okay, this is taken care of, this is taken care of, that thing's not taken care of. Is anybody taking care of that thing? Mm-hmm. And and you kind of got to work together to to make that happen. Yeah.
0: And this is why Dragons mice have become more organized
1: and closely joined.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but
1: actually, though, <laughs> um, no, and that's that's absolutely true. There's there's so much, you know, it's a very cooperative game simply because there is so much happening all at once, and you have to be able to identify problem areas you know you have to have people scanning the board looking for okay well this is an imminent danger of blighting this is going to create a city this turn you know what where can we get ahead versus where do we have to do some triage and it's spirit Nightland is very much a game about trust you know because it's not it's very difficult to be scanning the entire board especially in a, a game with more than than two players really and it's, even if you can sort of scan the entire board, it's very difficult, next to impossible, to personally impact or even cause you know, someone to impact any given part of the board. So you have to trust that your allies are paying attention to the things that are on their board, or that if you point something out to them that maybe they didn't notice, they're going to be able to be on top of it. And if they aren't, that they're going to say something. And you, it's all about just communication and being able to say okay, who's on top of this? You can do it? Great. All right. Who, what about this? And working together in order to mm-hmm. like, find the problem areas and stop them before they become, you know, before they blight, really. Or
2: sometimes putting all of your problem stuff in one area. Oh,
1: I love that strategy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good.
2: <laughs> and then just, just blowing that one place up. And sometimes you kind of just have to let, something bad happened because something worse is happening somewhere else. Right. You know, know? and there's a lot of discussion happening in the spirit phase of, well, I can do this. Well, oh, well you can do that. So I won't do this. I'm going to do this other thing. And if you don't have that discussion, if you don't work together, if you don't like cooperate, you're going to lose.
0: Yeah, pretty
1: much. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Last thing that I want to point out, before we kill my idols, uh, <laughs> is uh, that this game has solo mode, yes. which is fantastic. Speaking as a person who lives out of outside of town, has trouble getting people to my place, not that I've ever tried, but um, <laughs> has trouble making it into town sometimes, the fact that I can sit down and play a solo game and experiment with new spirits and powers and fear cards and adversaries and scenarios all of these near infinite permutations and things and play around with those and keep my momentum going and keep my interest up in this game is just fantastic. And the fact that, you know, if you want to play it, you can play it. There's nothing short of like, you know, not having enough time that's going to prevent you from playing it. You don't have to have other people in order to get it to table, which I think is fantastic. I'm, I'm always a fan of, of solo modes. But now Greg,
0: it's time to kill your idols. I know, I know. This is the worst. It is.
1: <laughs> but it's, it's no. I think this is good though, and I think I will start off. I will mm-hmm. own this mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. moment. Um, and the first thing that I'm going to say is actually an issue with the branch and claw expansion. Mm-hmm. I think that events can they can disrupt gameplay, which I think is what they were intended to do. But I think they can also destabilize gameplay. To the point where there's literally nothing you can do. You know, if the bad stuff that happens as part of an event card comes out too early or comes out at a moment that players aren't in a position to defend themselves or to avoid it, that's literally a death sentence by itself because everything in this game works together. Everything is precipitated by everything else and it just snowballs out of control once, you know, one thing happens. So Mm -hmm. I think that the event cards particularly in the early game, can be a problem, can be a detriment to the game. And I'm glad that, at least according to some of the updates that we're seeing from the Jagged Earth Kickstarter, they're looking at changing it so that you don't necessarily draw an event on turn one. I would love that, but uh, we'll we'll see how it breaks out.
2: And I do also think with the events, sometimes it can almost lend to quarterbacking in the sense that sometimes one player is like, no, this is the decision we're going with because this is what I have the ability to do. And I've, I've had that, that Mm -hmm. discussion happen and, and I feel, I don't, I don't like that feeling. I I do like the events because they add some randomness and more theme. And it's really funny that things that affect the spirits negatively are things like settling and building farms uh, <laughs> and 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 the, the so the theme in the event cards is really great but at the same time they can be very frustrating and very destabilizing i can't i have to agree yeah.
0: mm-hmm. the other thing about spirit island as a whole that we just have to acknowledge and this is part of the reason why we didn't go through all the rules at the beginning is because there are a lot and this game can be very intimidating to new players. And this can be, there's just a lot of moving parts in this. Like you've got to take it slow. That's why we're saying that you have to like, you know, start with the, the less complex spirits, start with that and learn your, learn your way through it. Once you get past it, it's good. But the learning curve on this is very high.
1: Mm-hmm. Which and,
2: is why I have taught this game a lot.
1: Right. Yeah. And you know, it's just sort of a constant refresher of, Oh, that's right, this happens now. And Leslie's point about keeping the the turn order cards and the, the reminder cards in front of you all the time is so important, even for veteran players, because it's so easy to lose track of something just in the in the fray. You know, you've got your fast power phase, you've got like seven different things happening during the invader phase. There's just so much to keep track of that it's really easy. To be overwhelmed, mm-hmm. and also, you know, if you or someone in your group is sort of prone to analysis paralysis, like it's really easy to fall into this, you know, back and forth, back and forth, equivocation of like, oh, I could do this, oh, but I could do this, and and almost be unable to make a decision.
2: Yeah, that yeah, that can definitely be a problem. You know, if you think about the fact that Hunter, my husband, I have watched him teach scythe. And Eldritch Horror at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of you are surprised. No. He refuses to teach this game because there's just so many moving parts. He's like, How do you do it? Which is pretty funny. It just, this is how my brain works. So (laughs) it works out. But but yeah, he he refuses to teach this game, which is pretty hilarious because that's one of his favorite things to do is teach people board games.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Just Just, not this one.
0: Yeah, exactly. A testament to how complex it is. But once you get over that hump, let's talk about what our ratings are. And this is not going to surprise too many people.
2: Yeah, yeah. So there's what? Play it, buy it, and then what?
1: Uh, (laughs) Top shelf.
2: Top shelf. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where Spirit Island is for me,
1: for sure. Yeah, absolutely agree. Top shelf, 100%. The toppest of the shelf, uh, <laughs> stacked on top of the other. No, that's bad for me. <laughs> um, No, I love this game. I adore this game. I. One of the things that I typically talk about when I am t- considering my rating is price. And this is a very pricey game. I will be very upfront about that. If you buy the base game plus Branch and Claw, it's going to set you back like upwards of $100. But it's so worth it.
0: The fact that
1: you have this near infinite replayability, the fact that you can get it to table literally anytime you want with, you know, up to three other players, five other players once the Jagged Earth expansion arrives. Like, it is just so fun. If I had one game, for the rest of my entire life, it would be this game. <laughs>
2: this is your, your yep. desert it. island game? Yes,
1: this is my desert island game. Yeah. <laughs> Unequivocally.
0: Yeah, it's you know desert uh, spirit island on a desert island.
1: Right, there you go. There you go.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I am also going to say there's a top shelf game for me as well. This is like, you know, when we last did our top tens, uh, you know, top ten games of all time, it was not on mine. But I'm pretty sure if I did another list of top ten, this was, this was crept up uh, yes. very much so. <laughs> So, I mean, this is a game that I'll almost never say no to playing. Like, if there's a chance, I'll play
1: it.
2: I'm pretty much the only time I've ever said no to Spirit Island has been a time constraint.
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, because
1: that's in my mind, that's the only reason to say no. To <laughs> the <You're honest>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there you go. Ben, three top shelves. We got the Triple Crown mm-hmm. up in here. That's the first time. I That's, I think, even the first time we've had more than one. Top shelf game, right? We might have had one of it. I don't remember exactly. We know our own content. Yes. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. It's but my yeah. first top yeah. shelf rating. Yes. So. Exactly. We uh, we could talk all day. We could literally make like uh, a public broadcasting, public access network show about Spirit Island and just do that every day for an hour for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I could anyway. But uh, in the interest of not taking up any more of your time, I think we're gonna play ourselves out. But before we go let's talk about some games that we think are similar yep. to spirit island mm-hmm. uh if you like spirit island you'll like these and vice versa so
0: the first game is a game that we've talked about a few times on the podcast which is shadow rift shadow rift is a brutally difficult cooperative deck building game and w- that does not sound very much like spirit island but brutally difficult yeah the brutally difficult part definitely but the interesting part about it is that you have a few different parallels here first off like you know you have the the wind conditions so you know you have either building up your your defenses so that they're impenetrable to the invaders pretty much or you have uh closing the shadow rift so that's almost similar to like you know either destroying all the invaders in in spirit island or you know getting the fear up to a point where like you only need to destroy some of them Mm -hmm. and the other thing is that you have these like you know these enemies that come up And the way that they move and the way that they're programmed that, you know, you have to do them by a certain point because they will go out and go around and come back or something like that. Or like something really bad is going to happen on the third stage where they are or however else like that is, it really parallels the, uh, the planning that you can do in spirit Island with like, what is ravaging, what is building and like, how can I prevent like any other kind of exploring and other things like that. So in that way, I think that uh, if you like, spirit island but want more of a deck building experience definitely check out shadow rift
2: the other game that we brought up is you know strangely enough one we just talked about last week uh pandemic Mm -hmm. based pandemic or any really any version of pandemic you're managing a situation that is happening on your board you're You know, diseases are coming out, much like the invaders are coming out on the board. And in fact, when blight happens, if a particular land space is blighted and then should get another blight, it does cascade, much like an outbreak, Mm -hmm. uh, although not quite as severe as as in Pandemic. So, you know, there's certainly the cooperative aspect of Pandemic is there. So, you know, certainly Spirit Island is much more complex, although I haven't played Pandemic with all of the however many expansions you know um maybe there's a comparable level there at some point but yeah i would say that there's definitely a a similarities Mm
1: -hmm. well there you go that's our review of spirit island
2: it's a long time coming i can't (laughs) believe it's over (laughs) (laughs) never over we'll we'll be talking about it again
1: don't you worry of
0: course there's no way we could stop it (laughs)
1: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Dragon's Demise. We do want to sort of point your attention towards this really amazing uh, new game that we've heard about. Actually, it's not a new game. It's a very old game. Uh, it's called Democracy. You. It's been play... around since the
0: time of the Romans. Right. Uh, Greeks, technically.
1: But there's this ongoing game that's been going on for a couple hundred years at this point. You play by going to your polling place tomorrow, Tuesday, November Sixth. 6th. Sixth. Thank you, everybody. Got my back. I know it's a Tuesday. Go to your polling place cast your ballot. Voting is, you know, a hugely important part of your civic participation here in the United States. If you don't live in the United States, I apologize. But (laughs) I apologize for being presumptuous. I don't apologize. for Moving on. Please go vote. It's a great thing to do. Uh, Join us this week on Wednesday. We're going to be streaming Near and Far. On Friday, there's not going to be any Gloomhaven, but we are going to try to maybe stream something else. We'll keep you posted Uh, And of course, join us next week when we review something related to RPGs.